This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, our guest is George Gay, who is the CEO of First Affirmative Financial Network. George, welcome today. Great. It's great to be with you, Gary. So, George, tell us, you know, uh, how you how you got into, you know, the, the, the financial field. I mean, I know you're a West Point grad. Um, what kind of made you to, to, to make that shift and, and come over to the finance side? Well, actually, uh, Gary, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do after I was in the Army, and I was I was on installation staff at Fort Carson for a while, and I read an article in Time Magazine about the College for Financial Planning, and, <clears throat> you know, I had, I had started to invest some of my own money while I was still in the Army, and it was interesting, and then I looked, looked into this College for Financial Planning, and that looked interesting, and um, I signed up, started to take it, actually, while I was still in the Army, and then uh, I just needed to figure out what I was going to do after my my time at Fort Carson was done, and looked around Colorado Springs and, and found a fellow that had a business that I liked the structure that he had, and he wanted to grow, so um, I came over and uh, started to work with him. And, um, and then he discovered the concept of socially responsible investing, which um, he, he had gone to a conference and learned about it, came back and said that uh, that was something that we were going we were gonna to do. So we started specializing in socially responsible investing, which is now more commonly called ESG, uh, in 1988. You know, kind of finding that niche. I mean, you know, I understand that, you know, this person said, hey, this is what we're going to do. But I mean, do you still find that as, as your passion now? I think that the, the, the thing that always struck me was the idea that people should understand not just what the, their money does for them, but what impact it has on other people. Mm-hmm. And um, and that the idea of integrating your values with what your money choices are has always made a lot of sense to me. You know, people who say, well, you know, money is an amoral instrument, you know, that's, that's not entirely true. I mean, right. money, what you choose to do with your money has effects on, you know, on other people, on society. And I just think that, uh, making informed choices um, 
makes a lot of sense. And to be responsible for what your decisions are is just something I believe in. That's great. I mean, I think I do find it, you know, interesting because, you know, many people, you know, will talk to talk, but then when you kind of look behind the scenes uh, with things, they're, they're not exactly walking the walk always. Uh, so that, that's, that's pretty interesting. Right. I had a speaker one time that said, you know, people talk about their values, but if, if you really want to know what their values are, take a look at their daytimer and their checkbook. Right. That's, that's the truth, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, obviously you, you had a career before you, before you got, you know, into the, into the finance side of things. Um, you know, and I always find it interesting when, when people have that, that second career, because that kind of tends to, to be almost their passion at that point. So, um, you know, I asked earlier about, you know, your passion. I mean, wh what is it that gets you up in the morning every day and, and want to do this? Well, I, at First Affirmative, we work with about 65 advisors around the country. And over the years that I've been here, we, you know, of course, I had a lot of really great friends that I worked with that some of them have retired, some of them have passed on. And um, so the opportunity uh, for me to work with advisors and help them build their businesses and help them to help their clients um, is really the most important thing for me. I do have clients of my own. I don't want to understate um, their importance, but uh, um, but but the mo the most thing is to to have built an organization, to build a business, and to have worked with a lot of really great people. The other thing that I've done for thirty years is I've hosted the industry conference for the social investment industry, mm -hmm. and so you know once a year I'm a I'm an event planner too. So uh, and. Uh, after last year, we had to uh, had to cancel our event. I'm I'm happily working on uh, an in person event for October of this year, and, and that's a fun that's a fun thing too. Right, right. What about the, the finance industry and what you're doing now? What is it that you wish you knew when you first started out doing it? <laughs> you know, it's kind of I mean, right now it, it's very interesting that. ESG, environmental social governance, has all of a sudden caught on like crazy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we started to do this 30 plus years ago, everybody thought it was like the dumbest idea they'd ever heard of. And, and all of a sudden, I, I turn around all the time and see all these people say, well, we've been doing ESG for 20 years. And I know that five years ago, they thought I was a, you know, tree-hugging moron. Right. So the, um, the ability to work with people, you know, I mean, all the tools, all the fabulous things that computers can do for you, you know, you still have to, in this business, you still have to sit down face-to-face -face with a client, whether it's over Zoom or whether it's in your office or in their house, and what, the, what a client needs the most is a, co a confident, comforting voice on the other side of the table that they believe is interested first and foremost in their well-being. 
and their best interest. The decision to be a fee-only planner and be a fiduciary we made over 20 years ago. Um, you know, that was, I, I, you know, when you say, what, what, what I wish I would know is just that uh, most, of, most of the choices will be right. Some of them will be wrong. The ones that are wrong, you have to fix and, and move forward. You know, being a place where you where you help people achieve their goals and dreams is is very, um, you know, very fulfilling situation. Great. What um, what are some of the questions that you wish that you know clients are would ask you? You know, when when you first meet them. I think that the, the the number one thing that I think people need to understand is the difference between someone who is acting in a fiduciary relationship and someone who isn't. Um, and the, you know, the, a lot of times people are very hesitant, you know, to, to be very straight up, you know, which is, you know, how much do you get paid or how do you get paid and how much do you get paid? And does it matter what, what I do to how much you get paid? Um, I think that's that's a conversation. The, the second thing is that um, you know a lot of people that come to a financial advisor are doing it because it's a very foreign thing to them. You know, our educational system doesn't do a particularly good job of teaching people how to be adults with money and loans and credit cards and bills to pay. And the fact that, again, I had, I had somebody one time that said, you know, the thing that people don't understand is that, you know, if they look at their, their family and they say, what's, what, what's my future responsibility? It's not just the person I am today, but I also have to plan for the 70 year old person that I will be at some point in the future. And if I don't set aside money for that future person, um, there'll be a lot of problems. And so I think that's another, you know, everybody has to deal with what they have to deal with today, but it's how do you, uh, how do you think about what the future is? And so I, I think those are great questions for somebody to prepare before they're gonna go out and look for an advisor. Right. So obviously not, not preparing for that other person like you're talking about, you know, is certainly a mistake that, that people make. What are some of the other uh, things that, that you see that people are making mistakes before, you know, obviously before they get to you? Yeah, I think that the, the you know, the, historically, when people would ask me what I do, like on an airplane or something, and I'd try and explain and the great majority of people would say, I didn't know you could do that. Right. Um, I didn't know that I could make some decisions about my investments that would match my, my values. And just over time, that becomes more and more possible. And the other thing, of course, is even in a husband and wife situation or partners, they never, they don't talk about values and then they start to have a conversation and they discover they're not on the same page. And so that's a, that's another thing is that you have to be able to to manage a conversation where all of a sudden you discover that one of the one of the partners is 
is a uh, you know is somebody that needs security and confidence and safety, and another one's relationship with money is is very different, mm-hmm. and um, to help to help work with those people, and um, so that and frankly, the you see some very very sad situations in families with with how they deal with money, whether it's how they deal between partners, how they deal with their children, just just a range of things that 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 you see in this business that you don't necessarily know in advance, you know, the, that you're that you're gonna be involved in a uh, in an ugly situation. Yeah. I know we, you know, we lots of times run across people where husband and wife are, are both working full-time, got a couple kids, they're making three, four hundred thousand dollars a year, and they have nothing in it, you know, nothing put away. Right. And when you try to talk to them about it, one of them is like, oh, I've been saying that we need to be saving. And the other one's like, nah, with you know, we'll be fine, you know, type thing. So I think that, you know, what you said earlier about our education system does not prepare us, I think is is something that um, you know, I, I remember when I was in high school, you know, we took a bookkeeping class and that's what got me started in in accounting. Um but, you know, not people aren't talking about it. You know, they're certainly not talking to their children about it. And I think that, you know, probably my grandparents' generation, nobody talked about finances. Right. Everything was very close to the vest and stuff like that. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why I do this podcast is to try to get people to start talking about these things so we're not so heavily relied on somebody else when we get older to make sure that we're we're taken care of um, from a, from a, at least a financial situation. Right. Well, and there's so many people that you know. I mean, credit just as an example of of if they get into. It's very easy to get into trouble with credit. It's, it's oh yeah. Very easy to get into you know trouble with other things. Uh, that um, that if the if the if the partners in a, in a relationship aren't in agreement and don't work towards the same things, um, it's very hard. You know, the other thing is start to think about retirement when they're around forty years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the good fortune to have a couple of families where um, you know the parents. Uh, told the told the child, you know, the the day she got her job, to talk to me. So when she was 21 years old, and you know, so she started maxing out her 401k. You know, the day she started to work, and you know, the difference of somebody starting when they're 21 or 22 versus when they're 40 is enormous too because the other you know the other side of the coin is people then are afraid that it's too late right uh to save and invest and and you know and every day that you know i mean (laughs) when somebody you know the what is it that when's the best when's the best day to to start investing you know 20 years ago the the second best day to start investing is today right (laughs) <laughs> right. I, I certainly agree with that. And I know that, 
you know, lots of times, you know, from, from my perspective, um, I always tell the parents like, look, once they graduate and they're getting ready to, to start that first job, you know, out, out of college, you know, look, we need to talk to them then because, hey, we need to make sure they got the right amount of taxes coming out of, uh, out of their check so they don't end up paying a bunch of taxes later on. But just to start that discussion, and, and even if they're not eligible to be in a retirement plan, let's start with whatever it is, 50 bucks a month at least going into an IRA or, or doing investing somewhere to make right. sure that they have money, um, you know, money later on. Because uh, right. I, I agree with you, you know, the younger you can start, the, the, the better, better off you are. Um, so, in, you know, in, in getting to that point, I mean, tell our listeners, why is it important to use somebody, you know, like you, a professional, and helping them? Because, again, you see all of this stuff, you know, online this, online that, these different, the different robo-investors and stuff. Why is it important to, to pick a financial advisor like you as compared to just trying to use one of those? You know, the, the first part of the question is um, that unless you're a computer programmer, you will never know how that robo is making a recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, I mean, sometimes, you know, some of these robo products will just pick six or seven exchange traded funds and, you know, and, and, and it may be, maybe a nice job of asset allocation. It might not, you know, I, somebody did a few years ago, did a study of all the leading robo advisors and went into logged into each one of them, filled out the, questionnaire with the same answers and then compared the differences between what the outputs were. It's a surprising range. Now the same, the same thing will happen to, you know, I mean, same thing may happen with a half a dozen human advisors. Mm-hmm. They say, you know, I mean, so if we say, you know, we believe that when in a certain risk category, you have a certain amount of equities and a certain amount of fixed income and a certain amount of cash and in your equities, so much of it is in the United States and so much of it is outside the United States. You know, I mean, there will be, there will be human advisors that will say, well, we're going to make a bet that emerging markets will do better. And so therefore you should have more money in emerging markets. And you know, one of the things that that I'm that I don't believe in is making bets with people's money, right. um, and that you the the key thing somebody looking at a robo advisor or human advisors what is the process and is it a suitable procedural excuse me procedural prudent process. Um, and then you can say, okay, this is something that makes sense. But you know, somebody who's not very familiar is going to have a very difficult time saying, is this a, a, a something that makes? We've also seen a few times in market dislocations, some of these robo systems become inaccessible. Um, probably worse than the robos is what happens at 
like Robin Hood or something. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, people want, people are frightened or they want to do something. I mean, one of the, one of the values of a human advisor is to help somebody avoid doing the worst possible thing at the worst possible time. One of my things, one of my beliefs is, is that in good times, we believe our beliefs and we doubt our doubts. In bad times, we believe our doubts and we doubt our beliefs. And when, when you doubt your beliefs and believe your doubts, you're going to make bad choices. Um, and so a human advisor is in a better position to try to keep you from making a bad choice on an emotional basis. Whereas a robo-advisor is just going to accept your, is going to do whatever you tell it to do. And, and if, you know, if you just, you know, last year, if on the 15th of March, you would have said, this is terrible, I'm going to sell everything. You would have missed one of the best 12 months in the history of investing. Right. So, you know, and some people did. So that's, I don't know, I hope that's responsive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, that, again, with investments and taxes and finance and everything else, I mean, I think there's so much emotion involved in it that I think lots of times, you know, individuals need to have that, that human person to talk to, to talk them off the cliff um, and just make sure that, hey, you know, we have everybody that, um, you know, everything is, is kind of here. We put together a plan together. Let's not deviate from that plan and so forth. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm very much a strong believer of the team approach. Um, you know, it very much, you know, obviously I pull that from sports and the fact that, you know, I look at it, I'm the, I'm, I'm my client's quarterback. And I'll talk to the financial advisor, I'll talk to the attorney, I'll talk to, you know, their insurance broker, whoever it is, you know, we all talk and help them put together a plan. Um, and then we need to keep the communication up. And I think that that's one thing with, you know, if you're using a robo-advisor that you're not getting. Um, and, and, you know, what happens if things change and stuff like that? Um, somebody, you know, unexpectedly dies. Um, you know, then what do you, you know, the robo-advisor is not going to help you with that at all. Right. Um, right. So I think that that's, you know, a, a really a huge reason why it's important to have professionals, you know, around people. You know, again, your second career, you've come across a lot of different people in, in your lifetime and in your career. What is something in, from either career, what is something that you have learned from somebody else that has really still stuck with you today? Um, well, the first thing my, to me is obvious thing is uh, I was a second lieutenant. And so I had a, my, my very first boss, I went to him about something and he looked at me, he said, look, Lieutenant, this is not my job to teach you how to do your job. It's my job to teach you how to do my job. Hmm. And, you know, so go figure it out. Um, and so I've taken that away from, from that is I've always considered that it's, it's always part of my job to teach other people how to, to be more than what they are. Okay. And, you know, um, so people, you know, when, when you want to focus on 
training somebody, you need to train them for what they're going to do next, as well as training them for what they're going to do now. Okay. So that's, that was, that was one, uh, you know, and like I said, that was 1975. So um, the other thing, I, I tend to be an impatient person and, you know, to, to try to be more patient and try and be more, more thoughtful and try to be more present with, with people's. And um, so that I can't, you know, I mean, I, I took a course that, you know, that, that, that helped with that of, you know, being, being focused on the present, being focused on who you're with um, and, you know, trying to be, be sure that when, when you're, when you're with, with one person, to be really focused on that and not be distracted by other things, not be impatient. Uh, those, that's, that's another thing that I think that's important. The other finally thing is you should never stop learning. Um, and so the, um, you know, whether it's the continuing education that you're required to do for a CFP program or, or, or just the opportunity to, to learn more things, uh, I, th I think that continuous learning is a sign of a professional. I've always thought that it's like, you know, I know like this much of what I could know. So I want to keep learning and, you know, from other people, you know, from books, from classes, whatever it is, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I think that that's really important. So talked about a lot of different stuff today. What, what, thing have I not asked you? Oh, well, you know, do <laughs> you wish I had? Uh, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you go into an interview, you never know for sure. Um, most of the time when I, when I do an interview like this, you know, the, they're going to be much more focused on what is going on with ESG and what, and, and you didn't do that. And it's like, you know, it's refreshing almost to talk about <laughs> something else. Um, but you know, I will. I will just say, relative to ESG and SRI, and ESG is environmental social governance. SRI was socially responsible investing or sustainable responsible impact investing. And I would just want to get on the record the um, the difference between ESG and SRI is that ESG will tell you which is the best run coal company. SRI will tell you whether you want to invest in coal companies or not. Hmm. And so just my, my fast advertisement for my, my specific uh, expertise in the, in the industry is, is that little bit. Other than that, um, I appreciate your interest in, in how kind of my journey. Right. Because um, a lot of times people don't, don't ask about that or you know it's just like well how did you get from west point to socially responsible investing and um you know it's it's you 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 asked me a little bit about it but in a very different way so uh that was that was i that was very enjoyable um you know beyond that uh you know i just think that uh uh 
just to go back again is, you know, I think you should always work with somebody in a fiduciary situation and that you understand what that means. And, and frankly, that the advisor understands what that means. Right. Uh, not all of them do. So, you know, George, if, if people, because, because there's not, you know, again, I mean, to me, you can throw a rock, you can hit a financial advisor, you know, wherever, same thing with CPAs, but, um, it, it, not a lot of people um, have the niche that, that you have. And so if someone in our, you know, that, that's listening to this, that wants to talk to you because they want to, they, they believe in that and that's where they really want to, um, to, you know, have their passion and have their money. How can they reach out to you? How can they, you know, uh, get to you and talk to you? You know, the interesting thing now, I mean, let me just first, start, you know, our website is www.firstaffirmative.com. What's happened nowadays with email addresses is you get so many emails, you set up your spam filters. And so now if I was to say, well, my email address is, you know, georgegayatfirstaffirmative.com, which is what it is. The likelihood, though, is that one of your listeners sends me an email, my spam folder is going to say, I don't know who this is. Right. And off it goes. So I would say, you know, we do have, um, um, we do have service at firstaffirmative.com. If somebody wants to schedule uh, a call, they, because then it, then service at firstaffirmative.com goes into our, our service team section and then they take the action. So if somebody says, I'd really like to talk to George, then it will come to me, then I'll get back to somebody. So that's, that's a, an odd response, I know. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, and you know, but I guess, you know, I mean, my phone number is 719-478-7054. So, you know, I mean, if you call and leave a message, I'll certainly call you back. Great, great. George, I, I really appreciate your time today and uh, your insight. Um, look forward to, to, to learning more about, you know, what you do and um, spreading the word. Super. Thank you very much, Gary. Appreciate the opportunity. So today our guest was George Gay, who is the CEO of First Informative Financial Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.